0: there is hope for us yet yeah.
1: we are
0: young we are wet i am laura mccallan no
1: and i am fear, holly no Whitaker.
0: and this is home podcast hey okay. so hey good eve good eve how are you I'm a little groggy, I just took a nap or woke up from a nap, very trippy nap, um, so I'm a little out of it, but I'm alright. Good. Sunday, it's a dark, rainy, dark Sunday here today.
1: Oh, it's raining. that's good. It's not raining yeah. here. It's like yeah. warm here, like frighteningly warm here. Really? Yeah. Like how
0: okay. warm? Like, it's
1: like 70, it's like, I mean usually by this time it's freezing cold and it's, Um, it's just been a very, um, I mean, it's, you know, global warming.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You're, you've, you've got climate issues. Um, what's freezing, what's freezing though?
1: Well, I mean, it does freeze here. It doesn't snow here, but it does freeze here. Um, Yeah. And it starts to get down, but it's, you know, I mean, it just depends, like, I know I, everyone in the East Coast is always reassuring me that it's colder there than it is Disney World's, but it's all very, very, very uh, relative to where you are. Of
0: course. Right. And and there is a cold, like, like a
1: raw cold that I've felt on the West Coast that's It's a damp cold. Mm -hmm. It's a cold. It's like a cold that you need to get in a bathtub to like there. There's something that's really crisp about what happens on the East coast. I love the cold out there because it's Mm. a different cold. The cold out here, especially in San Francisco is like, it gets in your bones and it's unshakable and it's really, really heavy. It's a different cold, but um, yeah. Let's talk about weather. (laughs) Let's talk about the weather. (laughs) What's your favorite weather? All right. So let's actually talk about the coolest thing that's happened to us since we started doing the podcast. Yes, let's. So,
0: so we interviewed Sarah Heppala, author of Blackout, the um remembering the things I drink to forget. Yeah. <laughs> And it was, how was it, Holly? Who's
1: Sarah Heppola? Why, why don't you first tell us She's Sarah a she, Yeah,
0: so she's uh, she's a writer. She currently lives in Dallas. I think that's where she's from. Actually, I know that's where she's from. Yes. She, well, no,
1: no. She was born on the East Coast. She she relocated at a young age to Dallas.
0: Okay. Uh, and then moved to, I know she lived in New, New York. York um, Austin,
1: New York City. Yeah.
0: yeah and she uh, wrote, she was an editor at Salon and she wrote it a bunch of different places but this was her first book uh and it's a memoir and it's is awesome we both really loved it um and she's our yeah. first interview she's, she's our
1: first interview our
0: first interview on home and she was so she was so great and funny and down to earth and gracious in the interview it was just such a it was a great virgin experience
1: yeah, it was. And it also felt like uh quite a bit like uh, we were just talking with a friend. And that was mm-hmm. what I really appreciated about it was that it was um it was just very it was very on the level it was, it was a great conversation that uh really helped us I guess understand things about her that we otherwise didn't know from our different For not only reading her book, but also researching her. so I I just thought it was, yeah, yeah, and she, conversation,
0: it was, and she, you know, and she does have a lot of, I mean, any, anybody who writes a memoirs, obviously a lot out there, but she's also done, you know, there's, since the book came out, it's been a huge success, and she has had tons of interviews, tons of um, articles uh, written about it, and so it was, I did, I did feel like we got to get under the hood even a little bit more, and talk about, like, you know, she, we talked about some things that, um, that I didn't expect to talk about, you know, and it was great. I think as a, as a fellow female in recovery, you know, at the, you know, around the same age and dealing with a lot of the same stuff, it was just a great kindred conversation.
1: Yeah. I know. I almost at the end wanted to say, will you be our friends?" Um. <laughs> Very we true. could still ask her. <laughs> send her an email. <laughs> Holly and I were wondering. Yeah, check yes or no. <laughs> Do you like us? <laughs> uh, yeah. I was That's really it. pleased by the way that it came out. I was just, I was very happy, very happy. So, yeah. Without further ado, shall we let it roll? Here we go. Okay. Happy Sunday Eve. Nice checking yeah. on the weather with you. <laughs> you too. <laughs> Bye. Bye. So hey, Sarah
2: hi Hi,
0: hello sarah (laughs) you're back in dallas yeah after being in new york
2: it's it's true yes i just got back to dallas yesterday it is a gorgeous day which i'm spending inside hiding from the sunlight but that's (laughs) but but you know Sometimes we choose unhappiness. I don't know. <laughs> interesting way to start this interview.
0: No, I, uh, I, I'm i having a similar day. It's, I mean, and you're in Dallas, which is generally warmer anyway, but it's, it's yeah. probably 60 degrees in Boston and I'm choosing to be inside.
1: I'm doing so. the same thing. It's really nice outside and I'm staying inside as well. So,
2: Yay. Yeah, I thought it was funny that I started out by being like, it's a beautiful day outside. And then it was like, which I haven't enjoyed whatsoever. But
0: that's the way it is. It is the way it is. Um, Well, thank you for coming on. We're so excited. And we're just going to kind of start.
1: Yeah. Yay. Yeah, so I'm going to have, we're going to go back and forth. And we've kind of like set this up to alternate questions. And and we decided to go with mine first because I think mine really sets the stage for... Um, what this discussion is about and and also one of the one of the suspicions I have of, of why your book has been At least like from my point of view why it's been such a big deal and so when I was reading it I got into it and I was immediately drawn in I actually I actually read the article that you that you wrote It was an excerpt of it that was that came out I think either before the book or along the book launch was that like the was it the atlantic?
2: There was a piece in The Atlantic that was talking about the science of blackout.
1: That's exactly right. So it right, took,
2: yeah. it used my book as a jumping off point, you know, so it's kind of a review of the book, but also delved into the, the medical, the scientific history of blackout. It was a great, it was a great piece.
1: Yeah, it was a wonderful piece. And for me, it was also kind of life altering just because I had forever equated um, blacking out with the idea that that was actually passing out. And so when I was reading that, I was all of a sudden overwhelmed by this, like, very big realization. Like, I mean, it was just like a screenplay of my life of all the moments of those same things that had happened to me, which is like waking up um, in the middle of sex without remembering, like, how I got there or um, like just chunks of times that had um, disappeared from my life. And not really, I mean, it wasn't like I didn't know that this was happening. I mean, I clearly knew the next day when I would be doing things that like there were pieces that I didn't remember, but I think understanding the science behind it was mm-hmm. uh, such a, but such an eye opener for me. So I'd really love, cause I mean, your book is called Blackout and that was, that article went into describing the science behind a blackout and, and you go into this in your book as well. So I would love if you just started off um, just explaining a little bit about what a blackout is. Um, and also, yeah, um, maybe talking about why that was the you know why that was the basis for your book.
2: Yeah, and that's a great place to start. And and just so you like you are kind of like the target demographic for my book for just the reason that you described. I mean, like that yeah. experience, um, which is to illuminate um, a piece of your drinking history that you weren't that you didn't even know. Yeah. Um, that's that's exactly what I had kind of set out to do. So thank you for telling me that story. Um you know so so I you know so a blackout um is when your long term memory shuts down because you have had too much to drink so a lot of people do confuse it with passing out um and from the observing standpoint those two things look very different a person who has passed out is like unconscious and laid out on the, spread eagled on the floor or whatever. Um, But somebody in a blackout can be talking and doing karaoke and even driving cars and performing surgery. And so it's a very, very freaky deal. Um, And what happens is that your hippocampus shuts down and hippocampus is where long-term memory is stored. And so you're able, you have access to short-term memory so you can keep talking. but the next day you won't remember any of it. It's basically like amnesia and you give it to yourself by drinking. And there are all these things. So I always knew, I always knew what a blackout was because it happened to me the first time I drank a lot, which was at a very young age when I was 11 years old. And my cousin, my older cousin who taught me all the things like about the sex and the boys and everything was with me that night. And the next day she was like, do you remember doing, you know, sitting on the stairs and crying. And I was like, I didn't do that. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, and through this, through this, this conversation, I began to realize that I had been doing things and I didn't remember them, which even now, I mean, having written the book and everything, and it it just still freaks me out that you can drink yourself into amnesia.
0: Totally. Totally.
2: It's so creepy. And so, you know, so this was very, um, this, this was something that became standard in my drinking life. So I always knew what it was. Um, But what was interesting to me was a few things. One of them was how normalized it became. So Mm -hmm. at first I was like, whoa, this is something that happens in sci-fi. Like when they vacuum out your brain (laughs) and then fast forward to me at 35 being like, I had another blackout. (coughs) Ha 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 ha. High five. Like it, it, that funny life cycle that things that are creepy, dangerous, and terrifying become normalized and even comic material. Yeah. You know, the, the way that my friends, like I, I had this guy friend that would always be like, I time traveled last night. Like that's what he called a blackout. Uh I time traveled, you know? And so, um, So when I quit drinking and I wanted to write a drinking memoir, I knew so many drinking memoirs had been written. And so I was struggling to find a way to tell the story that would be different than other people's um, versions. You know, the the blackout thing was something I hit on as as it had been unexplored. And one of the reasons it had been unexplored was that the neuroscience wasn't there. Like they didn't start doing these studies. Like it's in 2002 that this, a researcher at duke university does binge drinking studies and he realizes that half the the drinkers have had blackouts and the oh. the scientists that he shows it to are like this couldn't be right because blackouts are what happened, it had been misunderstood in the medical community as something that happens before you become an alcoholic yeah. like basically um it's like stage 3 of four stages or something yeah. So that's what they always thought. So yeah. then when they when they see, wait a minute, wait a minute, 50% of the drinkers have had blackouts. That, that's that got to be wrong. So he goes back and he does it again and he gets the same stat. And they realize that that's blackouts are really just this weird thing. It doesn't happen to everyone. It only happens to about 50% of drinkers. But it happens when you drink too much too fast. And it basically comes, especially from a rise or spike in the blood alcohol content. So that's why things like drinking on an empty stomach and drinking shots um, will get you there really fast. And by the way, that's the description of the way people drink in college. Yeah, (laughs) You know, (laughs) it's like drinking fast, drinking before you eat. And, you know, and and so that's why blackouts are particularly... um, Probably popular is not the right word, but common uh, in, a, in college drinking circles. And so just one last point before we leave this. I'm sorry, this was a very long no, answer to your question. Oh, no, I love it. Keep
1: going. Um,
2: is that women are more prone to blackout than men are, which I never knew. Um, I always assumed that blackout drinking in particular sounded like a male thing because mm-hmm. it sounded really hardcore and low bottom. You know, <laughs> and it turns out that women black out about the same amount as men, even though women statistically drink less. So we're more prone to it because we're just we're smaller, and we don't process alcohol as fast as as men do. And we also do things like skipping meals. And I mean, this was something that kind of defined a lot of my drinking years because I was always trying to keep my weight down. Yep, um, yep. which was hilarious because I was also like drinking a 12-pack of beer. I was like, how can I stay slim and trim while having a 12-pack of Budweiser? <laughs> I can't. <laughs> like, the answer is you cannot. But so what I would do is that I, I'm sure you guys did this too. Yeah. So I would just skip dinner. Um, you know, or I would be like, I'm going to cut calories by, by not eating all day. And then I'll just drink my calories tonight. Well, I even
1: did it. Like I actually even gamed it so that I would get the biggest impact from the alcohol by drinking less of it as well. Right. So not only is it like calorie saving, but it's also to get the bigger impact first. And and I really love this point because I think it's, I think like the biggest part of this that was, um, that, that anybody can take away is that, I mean, this is happening to me far, far before I went off the deep. In. and far before like way long before like drinking in the morning for me was a normal thing or any of the right that I crossed, this was something that was happening to me when I first started drinking um, and could go for long periods without it. And so I think it's a really important um, it's an important thing to take away, which is that this is something that happens throughout a drinking career, not just something that necessarily happens at a certain stage of of um, intensifying addiction. So yeah, I love I really loved it.
2: That's exactly right, and I was just at a, I did an event the other night, and this woman was like, she, after listening to me talk, she raised her hand, and she was like, I had blackouts whenever I drank, but I'm not really an alcoholic drinker, and she doesn't understand. It's just that those two things are not necessarily related. Um, You will see an overlap. People who identify as alcoholics or problem drinkers often have blackouts in their stories because they have a lot of heavy, hardcore drinking, and they have stories like, I used to drink on empty stomachs to get the more effect from it so that's it is common but it doesn't necessarily have a correlation so a lot of people will have blackouts just because their threshold for that is low like yeah. they've recorded blackouts at point oh seven BAC which is less than the legal oh. limit for driving yeah
0: that's crazy I never knew that. I'm, I'm kind of, I like, I, I'm sitting here going, okay. I told, I knew what a blackout was. I had read about it before, but I, I, I definitely associated it with more of like problematic drinking because I, like you, Sarah, had blacked out from the beginning, from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. That, that was what happened. But I, I think there is something to the, to you know, the, the trajectory of it, and the more you're blacking out, the more chances are you're, you're doing things that you're gonna be, you know, that you don't remember that you're gonna be put you in danger, that are gonna put you in mm-hmm. situations. And so for me, I I every time I had blackouts, which was nine out of ten times, I shoved that down, you know, like the the yep. experience, whatever it was. And so the pile of shame just grew so high. And it's like this this cycle that you get into where like I'm gonna drink that down, right? But but yeah. then i'm gonna black out again and and i think that's where that maybe the difference in experience is Is like i've had friends that have blacked out before but it'd be like oh jeez, i don't remember that and they seem to be fine and the thing is they didn't yeah. do it again and again and again and again it was more you know it's few and far between where i was like yeah that's standard op you know i'm gonna i'm gonna do it
2: well that you know, what you just described is so familiar. And I'm sure will be is familiar to so many different problem drinkers, which is basically the the very bad math of, you know, I'm going to drink to take away the pain of drinking too much, okay. which is terrible. It's a terrible equation. It's It's that place where like the cure becomes the poison. Mm-hmm. And that's how you get stuck in those terrible cycles. I can't tell you the number of times that I woke up, I didn't know what happened the night before. And I would have such shame. Like, I couldn't sleep when I drank a lot. So I would wake up a lot at, like, 4 and 5 in the morning. And then there would be these hours before other people would wake up. And so it was this terror of not knowing what I had done or who I was going to have to apologize apologize. for and trying to figure out what I'd, like, going through my purse. And this is before smartphones, so... Uh. You know, I mean, which is good and bad. Like, I'm so glad I missed like Facebook blackout oh, experience. That yes just sounds you are. <laughs> absolutely. T- I'm so glad. But <laughs> at the same time, there was this utter unknowingness. Yes, and, you know, not having any information at all except maybe like a bruise on my leg. yeah, it was just it was just so creepy. Um, and so anyway, I would just wake up and be like, this is the worst, i'm I'm in hell. And then by like three o'clock, I'd be like, let's go out and drink again yeah I mean let's go let's go again and you just pick it up right right where you left off and I mean wow
0: yeah (laughs) it makes me like I know it takes me right back for sure and it's I love the way you said it's bad math I mean it that's exactly the right way to put it and that you know thinking of that 2 a.m 3 a.m 4 a.m anxiety that you know sitting straight up and and with having that flash of what the fuck just happened is one of the main things that keeps me from drinking. It really does. I can go right there. So anyway, that was, that was perfect and great. And I, um, I, I, so I'm curious both of us were actually curious about when you wrote blackout, like at what point in your sobriety did you start writing it?
2: So when I, um, you know, when I, First of all, it took me like two years to quit. So it was just like this ongoing, I'm quitting, I'm not quitting. I'm quitting. Oh, yeah. And then we when I finally of, did quit, that. yeah. yeah. So um, when I finally did quit, which was five years ago, I really thought, I was an editor at Salon and I really thought, I'm just not going to write again. Like my writing days are over, they're mm-hmm. behind me and I'm going to hide behind other people and I'm going to help them go out into the sunshine, you know, and, yeah. and I was pretty happy just being an editor for about six months. Um, and at six months in, I decided to write a story for Salon. And I actually think it was in some ways, it was just a practical way to tell my friends that I quit drinking, which I'm sure you guys understand. Yes. I mean, there's this, the, the, it was so horrible to come out as a person who didn't drink anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you explain to your friends for whom drinking has been the primary social activity they do? with you for 10, 15 years.
0: Uh, Yeah.
2: And so I wrote this piece really as a way to out myself. Mm -hmm. And then I got a lot of praise for it, which I'm also a praise junkie. So I was like, (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, let me do the thing, you know, (laughs) let me do something that, you know, is going to get me more compliments. Um, So I think, I'd always wanted to write a book. Always, always, always. It was, yeah. I think, for for most of us that that consider ourselves writers, it's it's the it's the brass ring, right? It's yeah. like I couldn't really call myself a writer until yeah. I'd written a book, even though I wrote all the time.
0: Totally. And
2: writing a book was something I never managed to do when I was drinking. I was always going to write a book. Always <laughs> you going about to. It, right. <laughs> Oh, my God. I'd get drunk and talk about it. I, you know, oh, oh, yeah. I love to talk about the book I was going to write. (laughs) And then I never would do it. I actually wrote a piece for Slate about how I'm going to shut down my blog and write a book. (laughs) And, like, I got all this attention for it. I was on, like, NPR. I got, like hundreds of emails from people that were like this is a great piece and they never wrote <laughs> I wrote like three pages of that book oh and God. then I just you wait and then eventually people forget and they stop asking you about it and you're like no nah, never mind
1: yeah
2: so, totally. that's like a, such so a, anyway minor.
0: yeah that's such a it's such a um little my uh, perfect illustration of what of drinking too it's like Oh, I know. know, I'm going to do that. You get these
2: wild epiphanies. And I mean, and it's the same thing as like, I'm going to stop drinking. And then you don't, and people (laughs) stop asking you about it and you know everything about that. So, okay. So six months into my sobriety, I wrote that piece. I realized that there was an opportunity there. And, um, you know, I, I started to think about writing a book and, um, it it was one of these things where it took me a very long time to figure out what that book was going to look like. You know, would it be a nonfiction reported book? Would it be a science book? You know, because I was starting to think about blackouts and making that the unifying um, idea, but what did that mean exactly? Did that mean, you know, so it it took years to figure out that I wanted it to be my own story. Um, And Laura, when did your book come out, by the way?
0: I don't have a book. I, I'm glad that you think I do. Oh. I have a no, no, I don't. I have a I have a blog, and I have a I've been published in a bunch of places, but I don't have a book.
2: Oh, for some reason I thought that you did. Oh wait, sorry, 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 sorry. Okay, erase, delete, backspace. <laughs> Let's go be, back.
1: Don't be sorry. It's just not, she has it. It's just not, it's just not physically manifested yet.
2: And I think when, okay, you were like, you were like, how did you know I wrote that book? Yeah,
1: no.
0: Um, and I think when we exchanged emails, Sarah, I told you that I'm writing a book right now. And so I don't know, but, but no, I don't, it's not, it's not done. It's not out in the world. It's a
1: whip. Yeah, it's in process.
2: Okay. Okay. So, um, So anyway, the the point of that was that it just took me several years to try to figure out how to, you know, when you you have to do this hard work of, like when you decide to write a book and you look out at the playing field and it can really depress you because you're like, everything's been said. (laughs) I don't need to say anything at all. And so I had to think really hard about what's the way to frame this. And so I ended up sticking to my story with like... The reported elements around blackout and yeah. and hitting at this shifting culture of women, of young women's drinking, but making it more of my story. And I'm really glad I took that um, I took that approach because your your next guest, Ann at Johnson's book, mm-hmm. came out probably about six months to a year before mine was, and it, it would have been what I had. Been thinking about doing. I was just gonna so, say,
0: like, I was just gonna yeah. say, you said more of a research based book. Um, you know,
2: that I, I, I had no idea that her book was uh, in in the, in the process world. of being written, um, but. But it turned out that we took very different tacks and the, the books worked nice as complements of each oh, other yeah. as opposed to my, you know, arriving, you know, seeing her book and then wanting to like ram my head into a brick wall because she <laughs> got there first.
0: <laughs> totally. No, that's awesome. <laughs> and, and how, um, I mean, I, I, so you were writing this through, through the process of recovery and did, how did writing it, did it, because for me, writing has really saved me And helped me immensely with my recovery. I think, as 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 a lot of people who write will say, you know, explains to me how I feel. It helps me get to the down to the bones of the truth about what my experience was. So, what has your experience been? What was your experience with writing it? Did it?
2: Was it like that? Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and see, so you guys understand this, you know, that the act of sobriety is the act of getting to know yourself better and becoming yeah. more and more honest with yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sobriety called bullshit on so many of my behaviors yeah. that I didn't even know were, you know, like, internal like machinations and manipulations and lies I was telling to myself like the way I was with guys or whatever you know like all this stuff that I did not even know was just this blanket dishonesty in me and so even though my job had been as a personal essay writer who had like trafficked in knowing the truth about herself (laughs) and pluming my depth to you know to to tell you the truth. I was missing a lot of, of just kind of that direct hit of honesty that sobriety gives you, that unblinking honesty that is so painful at first because it's like stepping on a scale after 10 years and being like, oh God, that's what it is. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God.
1: (laughs) But don't you also feel like as you're going along through this, it's just like, and here comes some more stuff. Once you start like bringing it up, it just kind of, you almost can't stop it. It just kind of continues to like be this confessionalist of, 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 of what you've done and what your experience was. I mean, have you found that?
2: Well, you know, I, I think one of the reasons that it took me so long to write the book it, which is a really short book, <laughs> it's like 240 pages or something. And it took me like three years to write. Yeah. Um, but one of the reasons is because, um, is because I had so many stories that kept bubbling to the surface. Right. And I, I think my, my original instinct might've been like, like to make it 700 pages, you know, cause all this stuff is coming up.
1: Right. Um,
2: and so to do the work of paring it down and what needs to go here and what's relevant. Um, cause yeah, I spent the first two years like of sobriety basically in one long cringe <laughs> where I was just like, I cannot believe I did that. Oh my God. You know? Yeah. And, and I think also, I'm glad that the book didn't end there because the next two years of sobriety, for me, it was year three and year four that, Things started to get better and lift and I started to come back to civilization and the world and my friendships and erotic enjoyment and all those things, yeah. you know, and I started yeah. like, I'm glad that it wasn't just me that was still in that painful place of loss and grief where you feel like there's a hole cut out of your insides. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: Um,
0: yeah, I love Just. That. Yeah, I, I totally, I read the second, like the last few chapters of the book again, before we talked, because I, I was going to say, as you're, as you're talking, I'm like nodding my head, nodding my head, because it feels like you can feel in the last chapters of the book that you, you started to become integrated, yeah. you know, like it really <laughs> exactly comes back around. And it's so, it's such a, uh, what as a reader and someone who is, who, who's starting to get that it's such a it's that's what the where the juice is for me because you start to yeah talk about dating and become what you were saying before about really all the 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 misconceptions you had about who you were it's like all those all those things are you're not under delusion anymore. And to see that, and it's like such, you know, and Ann Dassett Johnson does it really well too. Like she says you recover yourself and yeah. um, Yeah. yeah. So, so I love that. I, um, I, you said it, you said what I was kind of hoping was your experience.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I really, I really like the word that you used by the way, integrated, Mm. um, and I think that's a lovely way to think about what sobriety is. And it's also a pretty useful way to think about what drunkenness is, mm-hmm. um, is unintegrated. Yeah. Those unintegrated aspects of your personality that come out when you're drinking.
0: Yeah.
2: And it, it's so funny because I struggled a lot in early sobriety with whether or not I was strong or bold or brave or whether I was extroverted or introverted because... Right. When I was drinking, I was super bold and I could, I could have that sometimes. Like people that worked with me too, like they'll say, you were really confident in (laughs) like in the office and it's true I did present that way but some essential part of me did not feel that Mm -hmm. and then at other times I felt cowering fear like before I would go to work I would have panic attacks you know and so what I found in sobriety was that this stuff that had felt like it was all polarized started to all come back a little bit towards the middle yeah um which is, and I'm not, I'm not somebody that works in such wild swings. Like I used to be that person at the party that was the loudest and needed the most attention and needed the spotlight, (laughs) you know, and you were like, Whoa, that woman's crazy, you know? (laughs) And then you're
0: all on the floor at the end of the night.
2: Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, so I just feel like a lot of it was this move to the middle or also just a weaving together of all the different parts of the personality that make a human you know like I'm not all extroverted or introverted few people rarely are we're a complex mixture of those things and I could start to feel like like I have these human feelings like when I go to a party and I don't know anybody I feel uncomfortable that doesn't necessarily mean I'm an introvert it means I'm normal you know like I, you know, it, it, it just sobriety for me was a much more integrated experience of not having these, these kind of, um, pieces of my personality that would take over the wheel and drive. Um,
0: Exactly. That's what I think of it as being very, like all the pieces were there, but it's like yeah. being reactionary to whatever, whatever thing's going to come out now. And, you know, trying to tune the radio station. So you're like, okay, it, I'm going to go get some brave. <laughs>
1: I'm going to go get <laughs> some. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I also think you also, there's this aspect of, I know for me, there's an aspect of drinking to force the things that were not me. Right. And so yes. I would force, like, I've i, yes. have, I have discovered I'm so much more of an introvert. And I, if you would have asked me 10 years ago, I would have said, no, I love to go out. I love to party. And, and Lauren, and I've talked about this. Yes. Before. I do not feel that way. I do not love to go out and party. And it was like this, the thing, it was the thing that allowed me to do the thing so that I could forget the part of me that actually really wanted to stay in and, um, read a book or, you know.
2: Yeah. I mean, and, and and I, I relate to that completely. I mean, you know, I go to like, well, for me, I go to noisy clubs now, like loud music clubs and I'm like, how can I get out? How can I get out of here as soon as humanly possible? Oh, Totally. Um, but I yeah. but I do think that I drank in order to be close to other people. I do think there is an essential connectedness that I was looking for. Like I wasn't just looking for I want to be alone in my bed reading a book, which I do like. I do that a lot. Yeah. But I really also love true connectedness, intimacy with other people, which was what the, like I liked going to the club and then I would I'd have to drink so much that the music didn't bug me. So that I could basically just sit there with you and talk about my life story, which is all I really ever wanted to do.
1: I know. How have you found that, like, on this side of it, without alcohol, how is that for you? Like, how is that, like, forging of intimacy?
2: It's possible. I'm lonely. I mean, honestly. Like, I am a lonely person. I carry my loneliness around in the world with me. Mm-hmm. And I have these beautiful connected conversations like through interviews or even book events that I do, but I still feel a little bit of an outsider in the world where the social norm is a big noisy party. And it's yeah. just like, that always feels like a suit that doesn't fit for me. Yeah. Um, and I'm still trying to find my tribe, you know, I'm yeah. still trying to find my, the, the, the people that like to do what I like to do and don't, and, and for whom drinking is not the primary activity. Like I can go to an event where there's drinking, yeah. but I can't go to an event that's just drinking. Yeah. Do you know what yeah,
0: I mean? I totally do. I do. Um, yeah.
2: And so I think, you know, when Laura talked to me about this, this podcast and I was looking at the, you know, the web community that you guys have, that was very exciting to me because um, I think a lot about, especially with younger people, the social exile that you feel when you quit drinking is so crushing and uh. you feel so alone in the world. All you ever wanted was to not feel alone. That's probably why you started drinking in the first place. So the idea, and, you know, and, and this is why it's beautiful that you call your podcast home and the, the writing you guys have done around that is always just gives me a little like ping in my heart whenever I read that. You know, it's this idea that you are not alone, um, yeah. which I think is just the terror that people who are—and I'm five years sober—and I still have that yeah. feeling of like, oh, okay, no. here I and am out in so the world.
1: Beautiful. I mean, you—you you hit the nail on the head, which is like we drink to we 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 start drinking and we abuse it because that is how we feel to fit in. That is how we feel we belong. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. and not only that, because most of us are socially anxious. And then you—that's right. That that's exactly right yeah don't have the thing that allows you to not be socially anxious and you don't have the connective point and so it is it's it's terribly hard to find to find deep rooted friendships and community on this side of it it is but I do feel like it's I mean it's slowly but I do feel like it's starting to change and that the Facebook group Laura and I started um it's when you're on it, like, or when you're in it, it's just like, it's evident of that, which is how desperate all of us are for it. And when, when that, when that comes, you know, this, this wouldn't have, this wouldn't have existed years ago because we all found each other through social media. Right. So yep. I do feel it's changing, but I do feel you on the lonely part, right? I mean, it's, mm-hmm. um, it's a, like 80% or some, some ridiculous percent of adults drink. And that is that is the that is the thing that is the center of social. And so,
0: yeah. Do you feel like Sarah? Because I, I mean, I I love the honesty about it too. Because I think a lot of times, you know, you're saying it's refreshing to hear you say, "Look, I'm five years sober, and this is still how I feel sometimes." But do you don't you also feel like like you have you stood no shot at connection, true connection with drinking, and yeah. that it's made it, you know what? whether they're, um, whether it's more selective or in different scenarios that, because I feel like I found what I was, like I am starting to find what I was looking for all along in sobriety, what I was chasing and drinking. Absolutely. And, yeah. Yeah, Yeah.
2: absolutely. I mean, I think, I, I yeah, I, and, and I'm glad you're bringing this up too, because it wouldn't be the full answer to say, you know, how are you feeling? I'm feeling lonely, period. That's not the <laughs> end of it. You know, it's right. like, that. That's, that's just, that's a... That's one shade. But what you said, um, which is that what you were looking for in drinking was what you found through sobriety. I've found that to be so true. You know, it it sounds corny. I don't know that I would have believed it.
1: I know. But, you know, when you think
2: about it, but think about it, when you're, every time you feel discomfort, you drink. Therefore, you never have the opportunity to overcome that discomfort on your own. Yeah, and you right. take that behavior with you and you apply it to every single one of the different things. Like every time you feel grief, every time you feel boredom, every time you Ever. don't like the way you look. yes, All of it. And you, you continue that and you replicate it to, to, to where you are just not evolving as a human being. And so I have been able to develop a kind of confidence in myself and a kind of look each other in the eye intimacy Mm -hmm. and know that we mean what we say with my friends that feels more stable, more deep. The root system is, you know, goes deeper in the ground than the stuff that was like, Hey, what's up? Let's go party on Friday. And, and, and by the way, my life in drinking was not all let's go party on Friday. I still had you know, relationships. I still had deep, meaningful friendships. Right. But there was just something that like, like I was behind a wall or something. Like I also, I was just so, oh my God, I was just always having to apologize to people Uh, because I was so sorry I did that thing. And then, then I would hide from them because I was so ashamed. And then I would have to double back by being super nice to people I didn't even really like, because I might've embarrassed myself in front of them. And you end up overcorrecting. Like, Everything was just overcorrecting and hiding. And it just, this idea that I can just, like, again, I can just look people in the eye. I can look the world in the eye. That is very meaningful to me. And I did not have that. I was not able to hold at people's gaze very long in my drinking life because I wasn't comfortable in my own skin. Ugh, That's
0: so true. true. Every, oh. every word. Mm-hmm. So do you, so... This is one of Holly's questions, but I think, um, but I'll. I think I feel like it's a good point to ask it. So, do you miss it? Like, do you miss? Do you miss drinking?
2: So, what I miss is the easy camaraderie. Like, I really miss the the easy thing of like, ah, it's four o'clock. I don't have much to do, and I would just go down to the bar, and then all my friends are there. Yeah. Right. Right. Like slipping into
0: a Friday easy.
1: Yeah, yeah. I,
2: I I have to say, like I I do miss that, and I have you know I I chose to do AA, and I have an AA community, but it is not that. It's not that. It's not. Yeah, yeah. It's not. Yeah. And um and I have sober friends, but it's not that either. Part of this too, I sometimes wonder which part is sobriety and which part is just being in your forties. You know, because like know. I'm not a kid anymore. Like my friends have kids. Yeah, they right. can't drop everything and go hang out with me on a Friday night. You know, even if we were drinking, it wouldn't look like that. There is a certain, um, there's just a certain uh, melancholy of middle age that you get to. And you're like, you know what? My life is just going to exist on, you know, it's it's not going to be that. I don't get that. I know. Um, so I miss that. And the other thing I might miss a little bit is, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm having a hard time with men, mm-hmm. um, and I'm just—it's—it's it's tough in a dating world. And I know you guys have done episodes on dating, and I need to listen to them because uh, they will probably answer a lot of the, the the struggles that I continue to have. You know, no, they'll will just, they'll just, just
0: recognize that, like, yes, yeah, sister. That we're
1: all <laughs> no, um. So no, I'm curious. So okay, so I listened to your thing to your to the show uh, with Anna David, and you had said you had just signed up online again, um, and that was around Labor Day. I'm curious about how it's going, like, and what's come of that, like, or, I mean, cause I, I go on and then like 10 days later, I'm, I'm completely off. Most recently because somebody, one of my followers found me, and- um, Oh yeah, I know, I know. Knew everything about me and sent me a long email trying to court me, and that freaked me the fuck out. And so anyway, I'm just curious how that's going.
2: I yeah, I think that is the um you know you feel exposed when somebody recognizes you on there, you know, it's yeah. just it's it's yeah. a lot of Between vulnerability. Yeah, I want every everyone to just not see me unless you're really hot and I want to date you. Then you can acknowledge that I'm here, <laughs> but everybody else be quiet. Um Okay. So it's been really, yeah. Like you started out by saying, I go on it for 10 days and then I pull myself off. Well, I, I stayed on it for the full months that I was there in LA and it was just a very slow drip. You know, it's just like, it would be like, you've matched with somebody on Tinder. Silence, silence. (laughs) Like, and, and then sometimes I would get these messages at like two in the morning that were like, what up? And I was Uh, like, no. no, no, not, not up, not up at two in the morning. That's one thing you need to know about me. Um, but I did meet a lovely gentleman who was also sober. And, um, that was the coolest thing, you know, yeah. cause I put on there that I'm sober and that's a turnoff to a lot of people, yeah. but it also means that other people that might not put it on their profile Will tell me, you know, hey, I will drink too, and then that's right. awesome. And we went out like normal people, and we had normal dates that might have gotten physical, and it was like it felt good. Everything, you know what? What was awesome was that I felt comfortable, yeah. and that to me is the most important thing. It's like I know when I feel comfortable with somebody. Yeah. Um. Uh, I'm. I'm good.
0: Yeah. The online is world good. is. So, cause I'm doing it too. I'm, I'm, I'm on the Tinder. I'm on, I go on and off of OkCupid. Okay, and I think well, it's really interesting to do that as a sober person. Um, and I put it out there too, Sarah, because I feel like same reasons, like I just rather put it out there. It it's, a yeah. little, it's a filter and that's fine. Um, yep. but I think, I think it's just like, you're just exposed to more of the same as you would be in, in regular life, you know? And it's just, mm-hmm. it, it takes like, it takes, uh, I think it's, I think it is, um, it takes some balls to do it. And I think you just, you have to be at a point where you can say you cannot let those 2am messages like sink you like, Oh, this is just, you know, this is just pointless and and all of that. Um, have you ever. Well, heard-
2: yeah. I- yeah there's so much about drinking and the drinking life that just kind of is like counterfeit courage, counterfeit flirtation, counterfeit everything. You know, like it's so much, it's it's easy. It's an easier way. Let's be honest. It just didn't work for us. I mean, like it wasn't an easier way for us ultimately, but you know, like there are things about that life that make romantic friendship, anything easier from a sense of just being convenient. Totally. And you've made things more difficult. You've filtered out more people. Um, and you do have to call on these reserves inside yourself of, of like, okay, don't get discouraged. It's okay. Don't let, you know, and that can be hard. And some days I don't want to deal with it. Yeah. And I just, I did, t- I did like put my OkCupid okay profile up and then like two days later, take it down. <laughs> so I'm still on Tinder, but not on okay Cupid, because I was just like, can't deal. I can't deal yeah I know same, yeah. same,
1: no, I think it's interesting both so both of you put sober in your profiles. I don't put sober in my profile at all, mm-hmm. picky. I make sure that he doesn't have any pictures of him, like I'm very careful about what he puts up in his profile, like if three of his like you know qualities are that he loves wine tasting whiskey bars and right i p a like we're not gonna hang out, um, but I also don't put it in, and it's interesting because I find if I like to. I am very. I'm fully open. I, I like. I, I know when you were talking to Anna David, how you don't want to disclose that part of your life. And um, part of my almost dating test is that, like, you know, aside from like when we're together, like what his reaction is when I don't drink, because it's not a big deal to me. Like I don't put it in there because it's not like. While it is my career and what I you know dedicate my life to being sober, I don't feel is like a distinct qualifier of who I am for a dating profile. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, um, but I think it's the same as if a guy likes, you know, like happens to like, you know, he's like, I like red wine. Like I also don't discount that as well. And so I feel like when I've gone out very different from, from what you were talking about, David, I have, um, I'm very honest about what I do to, to an extent, but I also kind of use it as a test that like, I'm clear. I don't want that. This is not, how I want you to discover who I am or anything about me. And if you, like, we talked about this on the dating episode, it's more like I trust that you're not going to Google me and, like, and dig into my stuff and that you're going to let it come naturally. Um, Which, I mean, has not made it more successful or less successful, but it's just kind of been my approach. But I found it interesting when you were talking about um, that aspect. And so I'm curious, like, this last guy that you dated, did he – Did he naturally find out about you or did he like, did he do his research?
2: Okay. That was a funny one because (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe I'm talking about this, by the way. (laughs) I don't normally talk about people I date, but uh, (laughs) no, I mean, and that's okay. Um, Okay. So that one. I always go back and forth about whether or not to say my last name or what I write, right? So that's what we're talking about. Because if I say my last name, people go to Google and then they'll find the book. Or if I say I wrote Blackout, then I mean it's just it's a lot of information. So I just made this decision because he was sober. I was like, oh, I'm just going to tell him that uh, that you know what my last name is. And then it just so happened that he was listening to Fresh Air like um, that afternoon and he had queued up this podcast and it was my interview with her oh God. and and so he, he was like oh my gosh I listened to your first year podcast today and I was like no, no see no 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 no, no.
1: <laughs> because
2: I talked very candidly about sex with her and I I, no. I thought oh but you know what it was really cool because then when we went to get coffee together he kind of explain to me what his experience is like. And it just, it, it made for exactly the kind of conversations I like, which is instant intimacy. You know, it was just like, oh, I just revealed something and now you're going to reveal something. And it felt very comfortable and close. And so it was okay. But I mean, I think that stuff, I'm still trying to navigate all that stuff. I don't know what the answer is. It really, to me, it varies on the person.
0: Totally. I think it's totally situational in one person at a time and one relationship. And I don't, I don't think you can mess it up. Like, I don't think there's one right way to go or one wrong way to go. And I think sometimes, especially for people who have been in recovery, you can go to that intimacy place immediately because that's what we do every day. You know, yeah. if you, if you go to meetings and mm-hmm. like whatever, you're, you're like, no, let's, I want to know, I I don't want to have small talk for, you know, for three dates. And then like, let's just get
2: kind of get right to it. And you're
0: more comfortable,
2: but not everyone is. Yeah. (laughs) But not everyone is, is right for that. And not everyone is going to, you know, but it's, it's, it is in some ways that is a little bit of a test, isn't it? Because like what I'm looking for is I can't stand small talk. And so what I'm trying to do and why I drank was I wanted to skip over the small talk. And I wanted you to tell me all the parts that mattered. Let's just get there. Faster, exactly. You know, and yeah. so that when I can do that in sobriety, it's like, ooh, yeah. And now I'll even remember the conversation, you know. And I didn't <laughs> say anything stupid because I wasn't all wasted. <laughs> all right.
0: So, what's the most surprising thing about sobriety for you? Or if it's hard to do one, you could do, you know, a couple things.
2: Well, I would say, I mean, you know, the most surprising part is that I like it. I mean, I really, I really, really thought my life was over. I really, really, really thought that I thought that my life was going to suck. And like, uh, I remember, when I was like 25, I quit drinking for a year and a half. And, and I, I went into AA. And, and I remember I found this cool sponsor that cussed a lot. And she was like, she was like, Sarah, you don't understand. I go to AA because I want to. And I was like, that is the saddest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> like, I just thought that she was so pathetic. I really did. And I guess I've just, you know, be careful what you disdain saying because you can't, you, you, you turn into what you hate. You know, like I am now somebody that I like being sober. I like going to AA meetings. I, know. I, I, know. I, I like this stuff. I wouldn't do it if I didn't like it. I
0: know. And,
2: it um, it's, it's totally surprising to me
0: and wonderful it's totally
2: surprising (laughs) yeah Yeah. and wonderful you know
0: well because it's like you if you you know I I think we all and I I think that's what we want to get to next is sort of your experience getting sober but you know I went through a period of about a year and a half where I was trying trying and in and out of meetings and you know you hate it and you don't feel like you will ever actually own the words that people say you know when they say things like I'm grateful I'm um, I mean,
2: no, it all seemed like nonsense,
0: right. but then once you find you you find yourself not just saying it because you you got brainwashed or something, but you actually are grateful, you know you're actually love you love being sober, and it's 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 totally surprising. I'm with you on that
1: well, it's because yeah like honestly, it's the thing for me that I dreaded most of my entire life like it was the last thing that I wanted to be, yep. And so yep. it's surprising that on this side, it's actually so fucking enjoyable. And not only that, it's, um. I don't know. I mean, like, I, I don't, I like being part of this club. I like being part of this club. Like, yeah. I like the people that I've met on this side. I like my life on this side. It's just, it's good. It's better.
2: Well, you start to like yourself, you know, and so much of the drinking, especially as you get further and further into it, is this is this chase away from yourself and away from your feelings. And so when you get to this place where you don't need to drink yourself away anymore, it's just such a nice feeling of like, oh, I like myself. You know, yeah. and it's not this crazy bravado of like, you know, screw all y'all, I'm the greatest, or this, you know, <laughs> shivering in darkness, I'm the lowest creature that's ever walked face to the earth. It's something that's integrated in the middle, modest and humble, and you can be like, no, but I am who I like, I like me. Yeah. And that feeling is really good.
1: Yeah, kind of everything. Yeah, it is. Mm. So one thing I really want to, um, we're getting close to being out of time, but one thing I really wanted to ask you for for our listeners is to go into kind of the process of um of how how it was, how you got sober and what that looked like. And I know you've talked about, you said that it took you two years and you didn't really go into it in the book, but I know that you've said in interviews it took you two years and it was like a, you know, every two weeks and then you drink and every two weeks and then you mm-hmm. Um, I'm really curious about two things. One is kind of what that process was for you. Like, what did you do um, to mm-hmm. to really, I guess, uh, work sobriety? And then, I hate saying, no, that's, I don't know how I want to say it. What did you really do to work towards um, quitting alcohol? And then the second part is, what made it stick, finally?
2: Yeah, so, um so the process of quitting drinking for me was, yeah. I often say it, it was really like two years, but you could also say five years. You could also say ten years, yeah. because I first quit drinking when I was 25. Yeah. I stayed quit for a year and a half,
1: That's right.
2: and then I started again with the idea that that was just basically college and early 20s. I'd gotten off my, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd fallen off um, track, and I knew better now, and I was gonna be, I was gonna be okay. But it was the same old shit from the very beginning. Right. So that's really when I start to quit. Um, and then probably like two or three years into that I'm I'm like in a relationship where alcohol has become a problem and I didn't want to go to AA because I knew AA meant you were gonna have to quit. So I was real obsessed with moderating. So I went to an alcohol therapist which that's is like great. I would like to pay you to tell me what AA tells me. It's just like the I don't know. I'm actually I shouldn't say that. I'm sure they are wonderful alcohol therapists, but mine was basically like I would like to pay you $150 to just give me AA material. Yeah. Um, so, and, and she, oh, anyway, I was just doing the dodge and denial and all the like, how can I do the shell game of keeping the drinking? Yeah, and I just, I couldn't give it up. I couldn't give it up. It was the one thing I needed to hold on to more than anything, because like you said, I believed that sobriety was the dead end and that my life was over. So yeah. as long as I believed that, I was going to do everything in my power to keep myself from going there.
0: I try to so go d- for the third door where you're like, I don't want oh to be, be sober. I don't oh want to be sober. I don't want to be drinking. So what's the third option?
2: <laughs> that's perfect. That's perfect. Yes, that's exactly right. So I spent a very long time looking for that third door. You know, and basically my going to New York was an attempt to do that. Like I'm the genius that thought she was going to moderate her drinking by going to New York, right? Like, <laughs> who ever thought that? It's just uh, like, I'll stay knows. wet by jumping in this pool. Like, I'll stay dry by jumping in this pool. It's just an <laughs> idiot. So... I, I go to New York and, and my, my drinking is, is bad from, from the first, you know, weeks. And I, I had that episode in Paris that opens
1: yeah. the book
2: that happened a few months after I moved to New York. And, and so, yeah, looking for that third door. I mean, things got really bad for me, um, around the age of 33, 34. And it kind of is hard for me to remember where it was because it got real hazy, yeah. um, and things at work were really bad. We'd gone through two layoffs. Um, My finances were really bad. I had been asked to leave my apartment because I had like almost like I passed out and there was like smoke in the room. It's a mess. But anyway, like everything. And oh, and I went through a breakup, which, you know, it's funny. That's the story I don't tell in the book that I wonder if I should have, because it is so true in many of our stories that breakups precipitate us going off the deep end in a way because you get so heartbroken and the drinking feels like you deserve it and you don't have anything to drink for because you're just lonely hearted and miserable and alone again. Um, (laughs) and so I just really spiraled, but there were so many things kind of so many vectors working against me or for me to go into that deep end at that point. So anyway, I, I went back to AA, um, And it just didn't stick. Like I would go for two weeks and then I would disappear for two weeks. And then I got this really nice sponsor, but I was kind of like, didn't want to make her feel bad, but I wasn't doing the program at all. Like it it was all a mess. And I was going on and off antidepressants. It was just, so. and and so what was going on during this time is uh, me saying to like friends of mine, I'm going to quit drinking. And then being like, okay, we support you. And then two weeks later, I'd be like, I'm not gonna quit drinking, and they're like, "Okay, <laughs> okay, well, what, you, what, what, what would happen? You, you know, because I wanted to drink with them, and then they didn't know if they should drink with me, yeah. if that would be enabling, or if it would be really uncool not to drink with me, because that would be kind of bullying." So there's just a lot of nonsense. Of and I'm just getting more and more alone mm-hmm. and lonely, and I'm trying. And I'm trying and I'm reading memoirs about quitting drinking and I'm going online and and I'm doing like, like my best friend came to town and she was like, well, maybe if you just did yoga every day for 90 days, like that would be just as good. And I was like, that's a great idea. And then I never went to like one yoga session. You know, I mean, I, I was just, for me, what quitting drinking looked like was running out of options for what that third door might be. I mean, I had a long list of options, and it was like yeah. I got to try this, that, and the other thing, and I had to run out of ideas. Yeah,
0: yeah exactly. And then I
2: had to realize there was not a third door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was not a third door. I know there was yeah. really two.
0: Yeah, and um, and so I mean, do you remember your last drinking night? Do you like was it? Because for me, yes. it wasn't like that. I mean, I know when it was, but it wasn't anything profound. It was just like. I'm just fucking exhausted and there's nothing there this is this is so done it's clearly so done.
2: Well yeah, I had run out of steam too. I mean, I did not have like a rager of a night. I mean, I went to my friend Rebecca Tracer's wedding. She's a wonderful writer mm. that I um, worked with at Salon and <laughs> I went to her wedding and it was great and um but I don't remember how I got home. Yeah. And I woke up and I was like, well, there you go again, like no idea how you got home nothing like, and, and it just, it's funny. Cause I didn't wake up and go, Oh, I'm going to quit drinking, which is what I always did. Right. I actually woke up and I was like, well, that's your life. Oh, that's who yeah. you are now. This is it. Yeah. Like nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to change.
0: Yeah. You talk, you, I don't have the, the quote in front of me, but I think that is one of my favorite parts of your book where you talk about the, the fear of not changing being a big reason for stopping because you just it's you know, you're, it's like this for me too. It was like, I know what happens if I go down this road. I don't know what happens if I go down this other road and you know, I'm afraid not to change.
2: Well, I think when you're pushing that, when you're pushing the envelope on a problem drinking life and you're kind of going like, how many more times do I get? How many more near misses do I get? what you think in your head is like, I'm going to eventually something terrible is going to happen and then I'm going to have to stop.
1: Yeah.
2: And so I was always playing chicken with that terrible catastrophe Ugh. and hoping that it would be enough that I'd be okay. And, you know, this is a horrible thing that addicts do, by the way, because, you know, you're basically like playing like dare with a you know, with your life. But, um, you know, but that's what, what my life was. I was always so afraid of what might happen. Um, but then I finally realized like, oh, but what you are, this is horrible. Like it was suddenly not some hypothetical thing in the future that I was running from. Mm -hmm. It was this dawning realization that my life as it was, was awful and that I was never going to change. Like I was going, this was going to be it. And if this was all it was, this was death. I mean, it was just so sad. I was getting so much sadder. And I really, you know, your, your soul starts to like leave you, you know, like.
0: Yes, it really does. Mm -hmm.
1: Wait, so is that your last, that that was your last time drinking?
2: Yeah, it was my last night of drinking was at Rebecca's wedding. And then I woke up and, and I, um. I didn't know how I'd gotten home, and then uh, that night, I called my mom, and I said, I kind of told her everything, because I'd been really withholding with my mother. I didn't, Mm -hmm. I kept her at an arm's length, because I didn't want her to know how much trouble I was in, Yeah. because you also play that game of like, well, I can't admit everything to my mom, because then if I start drinking again, then she's going to be mad. Do that with everybody, (laughs) right yeah yeah so you you have to keep everyone away like you have to keep everyone from knowing the full truth or they might not let you go back again yeah. so i i have a personal essay where you know i say i talk about like how calling my mother was like destroying my hiding places oh. um because it's like once my mom knew then i was accountable to her and that was awful because I, I couldn't i felt so so bad that my mom was so worried she was so scared and you know one of the things that i told myself for many years was that my drinking didn't affect anybody else yeah so it didn't matter yep. like it doesn't matter if i drink too much cuz i'm not hurting anybody right i'm hurting but then,
0: it's
2: fine <laughs> yeah it's, it's hurting me but it's not hurting anybody else and so like my mother's reaction was disrupting that in a way that made me very cranky and mad like i didn't like being aware that my drinking affected other people, but it starts coming to you at those cracks in the walls. And then you start realizing, oh, your drinking is affecting everybody in your life. Um, And so, yeah, I started to become accountable to her and then, and that's when I quit, but I should say, I didn't really know I had quit drinking because I'd quit so many times and and turned back on it, right, so it was like the hundred and fiftieth time I'd quit drinking, mm-hmm. so it 's only historically that I can look back and say, "Yes, that was five years ago, and that was my last night, yeah. but at the time, I just thought this was uh, yeah. going to be the next failed attempt that's really I, you can't tell the difference when you're inside it
0: no, you can't and it's that's such an awesome point that I think so many of the women that we're connected with like need to hear because yeah. you you I didn't know my last time would be my last time either. Honestly, after my last time, I stopped promising myself that I would quit. Yeah, I was like, well, yeah, I, I'm not going to say I'm going to quit again. I'm just going to
2: because you get so tired of yeah of breaking your promise to yourself.
0: Yeah, and you and you just I said you know and I, it, I said today I'm going to go to a meeting today and I'm I'm going to try not to drink today. You know and 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 then you just build it up. But I think that's so important because I think there's um you lose a lot of women and myself included when you've gone out for the 50th time or the hundredth time and you've gone against your word and you think there's something like, what if I can't actually do this? And I think the, the, the message there is, you totally can, you know, but it you don't, you don't have to get something that's not inside you, you know, you, you just have to not drink mm-hmm. right now. And that's and exactly the, right. And that, you know, it's not like you grab some magic piece of resolve that stays, it has to renew every day. And, and then it does mm-hmm. get a lot easier, right? I mean, it, it does, you get out of that acute place of, of wanting to drink all the time and, and things do change, but I think that is a huge, it's a beautiful no, it's point. Huge,
1: it's huge. And I don't even think it has to be 50 times. I think it can be your first time that you try. It can. Absolutely. It, 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 that sucks with you.
2: And I know people who do quit the first time. And that's mm-hmm. it's amazing to me. It happens. It absolutely happens. But for me, because I had broken that promise to myself dozens, if not hundreds of times,
1: yeah,
2: I had lost faith in myself. So that promise to me meant nothing. I know. Um, and so, you know, that idea that just, I mean but basically my sobriety is just like why did it stick is well there's there's many reasons but it's because I just started putting days in a row <laughs> like it's I don't know it's like it it was and you were done it, it it just and it just happened you know and then and I was done and like and then things started to get easier and and probably the fact that 6 months in I I lighted on this idea of of writing a book and I could swim towards that, you know, that was something yeah. that gave me, oh, I can, I can do this thing. I think that you, you want to know that there's more life after this, that there's more things that there's more joy and discovery to be found. Um, and, yeah. and, and that that'll keep thing. you going. Mm-hmm. And and then it, and then your life, then you like yourself and you wouldn't want it any other way. I mean, now, yeah. like you asked me, do I miss drinking? And I do miss drinking, but I would, I, I don't, miss who that who I was back then I would never give up this for that small shallow joy you know because this is a a joy that goes so much deeper
1: yeah
0: oh this is awesome I don't I could continue talking to you forever I want to be mindful of your time though and and I know um, Holly and I had tons of other questions but but I feel like we should. Um, I think this
1: is a great jumping off point. Yeah. I think it's a really great place to leave it. And it's been such, I mean, it's, first of all, it's such an honor to talk to you. Um, your book was just, I mean, I, I consumed it in 36 hours. And I I loved I loved your story. I loved the way that you brought in a piece that so many people, because I think, you know, for me and in, in the work that I do, I try and appeal to a, a wide range of, of humans that, may not necessarily fit this classic definition that we have of of Mm -hmm. somebody who's addicted to alcohol looks like and i think it's so important that everybody can touch upon this without having to classify themselves as something and so i love the fact that i love what your book's based on i love that it's it goes into into what the experience is which is what i think so many of our experiences are and and I just think you're a terrific writer, and I I'm so honored that you were on our show and that you, um, we lost our interview virginity. To you, so. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's right. You guys were great. You guys are naturals. What are you on? Great. Well, thank. I mean, and thank you so much for for inviting me. And you know, again, we, we've kind of already talked about this, but but because so much, the 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 overriding thing that kept me drinking for years was just this fear that I would be uncool mm-hmm. and I, you know, nobody would like me anymore. And so when I see women like you guys out there, you know, and I look at your blogs and you're just like these cool, smart, connected, soulful women, you know, it's like to be the example, um, to, to, to add to an example in the world of things that I didn't even know existed when I quit drinking, yeah. you know, um, that's such a cool yeah. deal so thank you for including me in this
1: yeah no absolutely there's so many i mean the coolest people laura and i just talked about this the other night because we've like our friends are like artists and writers and like the i think the the coolest people that i've i've had in my life i've i've really found on this side of it it's just it's yeah it's an awesome community Um,
0: yeah definitely yeah. I hope you make it outside even for a, a moment
2: <laughs> <laughs> I really should I should now I feel like my soul feels renewed so Good. maybe I'll go do that
0: uh, alright well, have an amazing weekend and thank you so much and uh, we'll be in touch
2: Yeah. alright thank you ladies bye no. okay bye bye, bye.